Hi, welcome to Revolving Door. I am your host and this is my beef. So, in 2019, the Indonesian movie scene was loud with the release of Gundala. It is a big screen adaptation of an Indonesian superhero comic book of the same name. It was originally written in 1969, and that's a good half a century ago. But this Gundala, the modern version, was directed by Joko Anwar, and it starred Abimana Aryasatya as the titular character. And if you're anything like me, I'm pretty sure you would think, an Indonesian superhero movie are we doing? A Marvel Cinematic Universe? And turns out that wasn't too far from the truth. Joko Anwar used the momentum of Gundala's release to announce a Bumilangit project, which is a series of movies starring all sorts of local, air quote, superheroes based on comics from the same era. But we're not going to talk about the comics now, but I'd love to, sadly, I just haven't been able to find a legal slash legit source for the original comics. Now this week, we're going to dissect Gundala and why I wanted to like this movie, but I can't. Spoilers ahead. On paper, our protagonist Sanchaka had a backstory not unlike Batman, if Batman were a poor boy whose dad worked at some factory and led labour protest. And yeah, the similarities ended just about there. Little boy Sanchaka had to watch his father die, he was stabbed at a protest, and soon after his mother left him. There were definitely the roots of moral preaching by his father, and Sanchaka ate it up. At this point, this was completely understandable, because the boy can't have been over nine years old. He was left to fend for himself, and he didn't even have food in his house after his mother left. Now, I loved this build-up. You can't help but to sympathise with him. You feel sad for him, and he had no one. I wanted to like this movie, but there was a scene with a neighbour who tried to give him food, yet Sanjaka kicked the whole thing away in a fit of childish righteousness. And i just like to comment that Parenting 101, you definitely have to tell your children to do the right thing, but don't forget to put it in a context, and also teach them compassion and forgiveness first before righteousness, maybe? I don't know. I don't have kids, but that scene bugged me a lot. In other superhero films, I would have thought this was more than enough backstory. We can definitely cut seamlessly to older Sanjaka still fending for himself, but for some reason, we needed more backstory. And so we get one where Sanjaka met, or was saved, by a gangly teen called Awang, who also taught him Penjaxilat. A fun trivia that wasn't mentioned anywhere in the movie, Awang will grow up to be Godam, who is another superhero from the same world. Seeing a vibe here... There's a lot this movie wanted to do, so much exposition and context that made me feel like Gunella's should have been a TV series instead. There's no clear first, second or third act, and sometimes the cuts and the editing of the movie is so jarring that you can't help but wonder if it was edited using Windows Media Player. So much flashback and highly inefficient character introduction. For example, the one that bothered me the most is when we met Pencor, the big bad who was actually pretty interesting. Sadly, the way he was introduced is so dense and awkward, because if he had that much influence over the government, then surely, surely, even the youngest and the newest politicians would have known who he was. Why did we have to endure another exposition? And granted, it was delivered by Lukman Sarti, but the, my god, yet another flashback was really annoying. And this young upstart politician who was supposed to be the viewer's starting point already said that he didn't want to even shake the hand of someone like Pencor. He should have known who Pencor was. We're not even halfway into the movie. Now at this point you may be wondering where the hell is Sanjaka, don't worry, I'm going to tell you. He grew up to work 
as a satpam or security at a newspaper agency. I liked that he became a satpam, but this is weird in so many ways, because the rest of the news we saw after that one scene of the newspaper agency printing sheets of newspaper was from random TV stations and random people's phones. Why bother setting this news agency up if it wasn't going to deliver any news? Like, think of Spider-Man. He worked for the Daily Bugle, and that's where we get our in-universe news from. But moving on, on to more important and more annoying things, admittedly, there are quite a few things that we have to keep our minds on, namely the plot. Allegedly, our big bad Bencor has distributed a serum on the national rice supply that affects only pregnant women and their unborn babies. Sadly, this is a podcast, but rest assured that I am definitely making a face right now. These pregnant women were shown to have fits and they start vomiting and stuff like that. And I was thinking, oh no, genocide? Are they trying to kill the mothers and then kill the babies? And I was already asking how this substance could only affect pregnant women. How could it identify only pregnant women? Because the serum was distributed in rice. And as you know it, everyone eats rice. But the movie said, don't don't think too hard. The movie said the serum will cause these babies to be born without morals. My god. I had to pause the movie and punch a wall. Because, come on, morality isn't something that you can measure. It hasn't got a volume or density. It doesn't even have a genetic marker that you can spot. Newborn babies don't have moralities. They don't have critical thinking. Not yet. Because they only eat and they cry like cats. I'm so mad. At this point in the movie, we have to deal with two main plots. The first being the fictional not-Jakarta government being pressured by the people to make an antidote for the amoral serum, and the second being Sanjaka getting roped into defending a whole traditional market from being destroyed by... Ugh, I don't even know who they are anymore. Bankors, mooks, mooks, local bandits, I don't know, they really just show up looking for fights. There seems to be some implication of xenophobia and the 1998 massacre, but you can feel just how scared the movie is to actually say it and make fictional parallel in its narrative. And another thing that I find to be so jarring is that the angry people who staged protest about the amoral serum were mostly men. Why weren't there more angry pregnant women? I thought this affected them directly. Ugh. Everything in the movie definitely just about fell apart for me as we got to the end. Because, of course, Sanchaka learned about his powers and how to use them. I just, I just can't begin to care about him at this point. Some people in the government are a part of a secret think tank which, once again, consists of only men. And isn't that great? Knowing the decision makers for a problem that involves pregnant women are all men. Like, come on. It was written in 2019. We should have known better. Like, we were entertained by some oh-so-righteous scene where the elected people in the parliament are discussing whether they would release the antidote to the serum or not. Now, each of them delivered some very, very astoundingly selfish arguments. And the one time the one woman spoke up, she was cut off by a random bloke who is more worried about his chances of going to heaven rather than the actual effects of this alleged serum to people. I'm so done. In a superhero movie, usually you would have this one central character, this one protagonist. I don't talk about Sanchaka that much because I think the writer didn't even know how to connect him with all of this. He's a small fry. His superpower is literally only to beat people up and sometimes channel lightning when he remembers how to do it. 
When I first saw him, I thought he was going to be some daredevil-like figure because he can fight, and he can fight well. But unlike Matt Murdock, Sonchek, I didn't want to be here. He didn't want to fight people. He was pressured by the people in the traditional market to help them and to find who set the market on fire. And here's another funny thing. He didn't even do any detective work for it because the local mooks told him about the person who did it. That person turned out to be one of Pencor's collection of orphans he groomed from a very young age to be video game villains. And I'm sorry, I can't even deal with this bit in the movie. John Wick did it better. So much better. Sanchega fought a little with this guy, who attacked him with his very sharp violin bow, and I'm dying to have two set violin comment on this. There was no moral conflict on Sanchega's part, because the violin guy got hit by a bus and died. And this is our flimsy, thin, and sad thread that connects Sanchega and Pencor, because of course Pencor is possessive of a set of awesome video game villains. Now he wants the rest of his awesome video game villains to kill Sanchega. I ask myself, why? Why did I watch this? Simply put, I was tired of consuming content in English. I wanted something I don't have to translate. I realise that this episode is still in English, but don't yell at me just yet, because I do plan to make an Indonesian version, if only because complaining in my mother tongue is that much more pleasurable. But here we go back to the climax of the movie, where I ask the heavens, why isn't this movie over yet? Look when Sadi's character, who had a very Christoph Waltz-like vibe about him, found out that A, the Amaral serum was fake, and B, the antidote they're distributing is the dangerous, debilitating one. This switch was really getting on my nerves. Remember when the original Amaral serum actually did affect pregnant women? How, how, how did they got sick then? This movie definitely forgot that. And... And of course, following that revelation, Lukman Sardi panicked and tried to stop the distribution. Yet, for whatever reason, instead of just contacting the places where they're distributing it, they're too busy trying to figure out the phone numbers of the drivers. Sanjaku turned out to have no moral qualms about killing all of the awesome video games villain didn't kill Pankor. That task fell to Lukman Sardi, who shot Pankor, because come on, we have to make him relevant somehow. And I'm sorry I keep saying Lukman Sardi, but I can't remember the name of his character. It starts with an R, it could be anything. Sancho can discover that he can resonate and destroy materials with his awesome lightning powers and proceeded to explode all of the bottles of the serum because he was made out of the same materials. Yeah. It isn't clear how much area he could cover, but shh, the movie said don't think too hard. This was orchestrated in secret all along by none other than Gazul, who is Pankor's second-in-command. He was the one who made the bottles from this strange glass-like material because he needed Sanchaka to use that exact, specific power, which 1. Sanchaka only found out about, and 2. really, really depends on the local government choosing to distribute the antidote. You see, this isn't effective villainy, in case you're wondering. Gazul needed Sanchaka's power to destroy the prison of this old man called Kiwi Lawuk, who will surely become the villain in the next movie. Now, I'm trying to be fair and rationalize this by assuming that Gazul knows something more about Sanchaka's power, because he did refer to Sanchaka as Kundala, the enemy of Kiwi Lawuk. Because despite of the title of the movie, we didn't hear Gundala being mentioned throughout, and I do think that was a nice decision. The rest of the movie, though? Pain. And prior to this, there was also a sequel bait when Tara Basro's character, out of the blue, mentioned that she's met Sanchaka's mother. 
This was some time after she saw a picture of her in Sanchika's wallet, and stay with me here for a bit. Sanchika's mother left him when he was very young. She would be an old woman at this point, and you could say that she retained her young good looks, but there's no way anyone could look the same after thirty-ish years. If anything, she would have recognized Sanchika's mother as the one she treated back in Tangara because his mother would have mentioned the name of her son. Surely there can't be that many people who are called Sanchaka. All of my complaining aside, I really, really liked Ariobayu Esgazol. His delivery was silk smooth and his chromo ingil, and that is his very polite Javanese, for those of you who don't know, was impeccable. It makes me want to watch him a spooky movie that has him talking chromo ingil all the time, but no. Please don't tell me to watch Perempuan Tanah Jahanam, because I already did, and it is plagued with the same weaknesses that Kundala has. What is wrong with you, Jokanwar? Gundala is two hours and three minutes of my life I will never get back. Was it worth it? No. Not even the gratuitous shirtless Sanchaka fresh off the shower could cover up the terrible storyline, which is a shame, because he's a very beautiful man and I wanted to like this movie, but Gundala was determined to annoy me. Now, I'll leave you with one more thing to think about. The English Wikipedia page of Gundala credited Hans Zimmer under the music, and I can tell you that one, the score wished it was Hans Zimmer so badly that it became too noticeable over the scene itself, and two, Hans Zimmer's own Wikipedia page has zero mention of Gundala. And if you ask me, the score didn't want to be Hans Zimmer, it wanted to be Ramin Jawadi and Iron Man. Still, don't let my rant stop you from seeing it, because I myself never trust other people's words about movies before I've seen them myself. Because I could be wrong, and you might like it. Thank you for listening to Revolving Door. We'll be back with a new obsession next week.